Welcome to Overanalyzing, a conversational podcast that explores pop culture, literature, and media. I'm Paige Smith, and this week we're overanalyzing our obsession with teen-centric media. Movies, TV shows, YA novels, you name it. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Overanalyzing. <gasps> Somebody is with us. He's back. I'll let him introduce himself. Hey, guys. It's cool. It's me. It's cool. He's I been- know you've been fucking begging for it. I've seen the posts. I've seen the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Just that's a joke because we don't have any oh, of those. you guys. But if you are begging for it secretly and not telling anybody, let us know. Please. Please. Send an email. Cole's been gone for a few eps, but he's back. He's recently graduated from UC Berkeley. Congrats. I'm an adult now. He's an adult and he's here, ready to pod full time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm not committing you to that at all. Uh, But we do have a special. But if that's what you guys want. If it's what you want, then then email overanalyzingpodcast (laughs) at gmail.com. Please. Please. I'm begging you. Shout out to the fans. Um, we have a special third guest with us today. Cole, would you like to introduce this guest? Yeah, it's our first triple pod. And so to kick it off, we thought we'd bring in my very special boyfriend, Nicholas. Nick, say hi. Hey. Hi, Nick. (laughs) Nicholas Ferguson. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. (laughs) We wanted to get like one voice of every type. I'm in the middle, page up top, Nick. Right. Low. Yeah. It's yeah. like SAB, soprano, alto, baritone. It, oh my god, exactly. he's acquired me. We need a T. No. It's a little podcast symphony, if mm-hmm. you will. Wow, yes. yes. The harmony, yeah. you hear mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah. Everyone clicked off. No one's listening. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> it was nice knowing you. Um, yeah, Nick, yeah, introduce yourself. You, yeah, I'm Nick. Um, <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Oop, I just, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. And we are here today because we're going to be talking all about teen-focused media. Yes. Including TV shows, movies, novels, Perhaps podcasts, podcasts, even? teen podcasts, teen casts, <laughs> tween. What about tween casts? I mean, that's coming. Oh, next episode, you guys. And maybe that's one of the questions we address today: is is a tween a teen? You know what I mean. <laughs> We're tackling We're massive tackling fucking issues. The hard hitting <laughs> questions you guys have been dying to know. Mm-hmm. But no, we were curious to kind of talk about this because we all of us watched Never Have I Ever mm-hmm. recently. Yes. A new Netflix show written by Mindy Kaling, was it? It was. Yeah. And it was so good. And I loved it. My husband really loved it. A lot of our friends enjoyed it. And then it got me thinking, why did why did I, an almost 30-year-old woman, really enjoy and relate to this show fully about teens, probably written for the teenage audience, right? Yeah. No, I'm all... <laughs> You're like, no. I also <laughs> have this question for you. Why did you love this so much? <laughs> so no. you didn't like it? No, I definitely enjoyed it. Okay. I, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was good. It was like quality teen media. But while watching it, Nick and I watched it together. And I think like multiple times we were like, oh, this is meant for like actual 14-year-olds. Yeah. There's like that. Page. I could. There's like no. 
You know what? Rampage. <laughs> but they did, no, they were like, it's mostly about, like, I think it's made for the teenage ga- gauge, but like, teenage gays, but not exclusively. Like, they have the subplots with the mom and then the cousin. Yeah. They, they yeah. They touch There's like every age stuff. group. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I do think, I mean, obviously that kind of, I guess that's a good jumping off point because so, so many shows and movies that focus on teenagers resonate with people of all ages. Mm, Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like it's because, well, there are so many reasons, but I think there's a nostalgia factor first and foremost. There's also the fact that the teenage years are such a coming of age time. They're such formative years Mm. for so many people. And I think it's, it's really interesting to see how different people grapple with, with Mm -hmm. those things. And it's, it's kind of universal. And by different people, you mean the same subsect of white teenagers. Well, with never have I ever, now we got some, (laughs) (laughs) now we have one Indian Mm -hmm. (laughs) centered show, but yeah, for me, no, I sorry, think. Back to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's just a nostalgia thing, and I think it's there's something just relatable about that time period, and I, I think mm-hmm. watching different characters try to make their way through the teenage years in different ways, whether it's an experience that was similar to yours, if that's the case, then maybe you just really relate and feel seen mm-hmm. and understood, even if it's all of these years later since you've graduated, or if it's an experience that was really different from yours then it's just kind of fascinating, right? It's It sort of is a way of jumping into maybe the peers you had in high school mm. who you weren't that close with and you were desperate to know more about their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of that, a little bit of voyeurism, not to come off in a creepy way, but just to see you know, how someone else <laughs> yeah, handles no, different sure. life experiences. If you were part yeah. of one clique – you get access to another baby. Yeah, yeah you yeah. do. You get a POV into another click. I really enjoyed it because this is like the type of programming I wish I had as a high schooler. Um, really? Yeah. Like it just, was authentic. It was authentic, but yeah, like just the fact that like the there was like like the queer the queerness wasn't like subtextual. It was just like overt. It was just like I don't know. Like growing up, the only queer representation I felt I had in any like teen show that like or shows that teens watched was like. Chris Colfer and Glee, which isn't bad. Glee <laughs> feels such like a, a thousand years ago it's, right now. It aged. Oh, we watched like two episodes of it a few weeks ago, and it was a thousand years ago. It, it was a different time. No, seriously. Wow. Before iPhones. Yeah, I mean, it was that. what, what Before the late iPhones, 2000, like 2000, 2007-ish. Was it? Yeah. I, guess. I think yeah. it was, I was on when I was in grade. high school. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you related to that growing up and then did i mean now that you're older does this feel so much more true to your experience as a teenager or um it it's kind of like what i wish <laughs> my experience as a teenager was but i did relate to it definitely um it's like yeah. a, it's like a model struggle right specifically talking about um the girl who comes out it was like an idealized version of like the heartache but then into the growth and she tells her friends and it's positively received, which isn't a lot of people's experience, but it was a nice like microcosm of that shown in a positive light that was more hopeful. Yeah. Where before it's like Chris Colford gets like shoved in trash cans for six seasons before he like, yeah, I don't know, vaguely (laughs) deals with his dad, like almost, almost like nearly beats him. Like, yeah. Right. That's, that's true. I'm remembering that. And then it kind of makes you think, well, 
what is better? Is it better to have this idealized version of something and a really positive experience portrayed on screen? Or is it better to have something that rings truer? And I guess that's Mm -hmm. why there are so many different types of teen things because everybody does have such a different experience. And for some people, the coming out experience maybe is similar to what Mm -hmm. was shown on Never Never Have I Ever, whereas for other people, it could be a whole different ballgame. So I think it's good to have these different perspectives. But in general, I found Never Have I Ever to be just a really optimistic view of high school. And I really enjoyed that because it kind of – and I do think it has that Disney Channel effect to it where it's painting all of these situations in a, hey, we can get through it kind of – which is kind of way, nice. which is nice. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to sit into that for thirty minutes. I wanted to like speaking of that. I think it's interesting. There's different types of teen media. Some of them are like Never Have I Ever, where it's like let's take really giant issues that people face at one of the hardest times in their life and sort of condense them into a single episode arc and give you like a, a, an overlook on those issues that can like be helpful for young kids like hey you can do this and you can get through your dad dying or all of this and then there's other shows like Riverdale where it's like completely exaggerated the problems that you have like some people are popular and some people aren't and in Riverdale it's like the popular kids are murdering the you know what I mean like <laughs> spoilers you guys oh, <laughs> No, but do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, yes. there's this, there's teen media where it's like, let's exaggerate the fuck out of everything that happened in yeah. high school, where this was very, very realistic. Like, she has one beer at a friend's house and the mom catches them. In Riverdale, yeah. they're throwing, like, raves underground at, like, yeah, I don't know, their dad's house. It's crazy. Oh, wait, really? Wow. I mean, that sounds... Like yeah, and there's, like, multiple show. murders per season. There's three serial killers. There's, like, a witch that's, like, adjacent <laughs> to the series. Like, Riverdale's crazy. And they, I thought it was interesting that they watch Riverdale in Never Have I Ever. I don't know if you they remember do, that. They do, and they comment on it. And, and they're both Netflix shows, so mm-hmm. it's, like, it was, like, a meta thing about, like, here's the crazy teen shit that the teenagers in this realistic teen show are watching. Right. Just like you are. Right. That's a, yeah, that's yeah. a really interesting correlation. Kind of, here's the digestible teen Mm -hmm. version of life and i like what you said just that it takes these bigger macro issues and kind of whittles them down into something that's really palatable and Mm -hmm. easily solvable in 30 minutes which Mm -hmm. is why i think that type that format has endured for so many decades of the 30 minute kind of more sitcom-y type thing because it is really appealing as a viewer to see an arc and see it get resolution Mm -hmm. at the end yeah, one well done for sure. Yes, true. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, but I really enjoyed it and it made me think about how I feel like you just mentioned a couple examples, Riverdale and stuff, but I feel that a lot of teen-centric shows and movies today really try to characterize people in such a way that there are no bad characters. Mm. You know, no one is an enemy, no one is portrayed as the villain. And I think there's something really refreshing about that. I Book Smart comes to mind because that was a movie where they had all of these different characters, but none of them were unlikable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if they were frustrated with different characters for different reasons, it wasn't that they had this hatred where I feel like in, sh- in a lot of movies in the 80s and 90s, someone mm-hmm. is the villain mm-hmm. constantly and for you're waiting sure. for that person's downfall. No, for sure. We were just watching Pretty in Pink and it's just crazy like this like 
I, they just antagonize like the popular preps and they're so evil. And it's like, is that real? Like it, I don't know. It just like makes you, it's just, makes you think it makes you think no it's just the dichotomies are extremely intense where you're right and like there's this recent phenomena even in like uh euphoria which is a much more intense teen show it's still it gives you a look into every single person's life and like the bullies you get the trauma behind their bullying you know or in book smart they set up this like parody between the nerdy girls and the popular kids and then that's broken like a third of the way into the movie and you're like oh that was my fault as well for thinking that just because someone's popular they're mean or they're not smart right which i think is something that's being tackled more recently where an old movie loves like a yeah a more black and white Mm -hmm. portrayal and i mean to be fair that's that is like a trope right is that in teen focused shows they have a character that is somewhat of a stereotype and then they try to break down that stereotype. I mean, mm. Breakfast Club, the Breakfast Club is the most classic example of that. Yeah. You think you know what all of these people have been through and then as the story progresses, their backgrounds become revealed and it's really the first time you see that film, it is so powerful. And I think it's just kind of a, a really good reminder that everybody does have that story, that backstory. But I do think a lot of films are more careless with that or it's or not to say that they're careless but that's just not the point of the mm-hmm. show is t- is to dive into someone's backstory it's more just to use a villain or someone else as a, a plot device to yeah. progress the story yeah. or as a foil to contrast to the protagonist true and there's validity to both probably but right. i personally am enjoying the more nuanced view of things yeah it went pretty in pink. It was interesting because um, Molly Ringwald's character, uh, Addie, Addie, Ali, Andy, Andy, Andy. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Um, there is this. It's a, it's like very much a class war between like the like more affluent preps and the working class um, punks. I guess. Yeah, I think it was punk. I don't. Yeah, like yeah, I don't know the eighties. Anyway, yeah. Um, but um, at one point, Andy's saying like, well, like, I can't say I don't want to date him because he's rich. Like, if I am, then I'm doing exactly what we think they're doing to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she like breaks through that a little bit, but then she goes on the date with him and he's fucking terrible. Yeah. And all of Ducky's um, predictions to her are true that everyone hates spoiler alert you guys we didn't finish it because we didn't (laughs) like it at all (laughs) wow 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 yeah okay i really i was like so you don't know how it ends no i'm assuming she gets with ducky though that's where it seemed like it was going her (gasps) dad her dad wait what's up she does not get with ducky and in fact i learned a tidbit from my friend ariel recently she loves this movie and she was telling me that she the story was went that it was she was supposed to end up with Ducky, Molly Ringwald's character, but then apparently she and the actor didn't have as much physical chemistry. Mm. So they did a test run with a test audience, and the audience didn't like the ending where she and Ducky ended up together. Go off, audience. and so they changed it and had him end up had her end up with uh, Blaine. What's his face? I cannot the remember the preppy guy. Name. Yeah, Blaine, mm-hmm. the one that likes her initially throughout the whole movie. Her love interest. Okay. Wait, really? Yes. You y'all gotta finish it. I can okay. see that. No, I. I would. Yeah. If she got with Ducky, I would have been so disappointed. No, He's so creepy. We <laughs> could, we couldn't stand the whole movie. He's like pestering her, like 
be in love with me, be in love with me, be in love with me. And their friendship is so like one dimensional because he's only focused on trying to get with her. But I guess we fucking judged. We book smarted this. You judged too soon. We thought we knew. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. I think we got to the point where Dougie comes in and does this like musical dance break number, and I was like, "Oh no, I forgot this is like a John Hughes movie." And um, it was like, "Yeah, it was like oh. what's a John Hughes movie? Like an '80s movie? Like Breakfast all the Club. yeah, like the oh, are those all the same director? Yeah. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're all set in the suburbs of Chicago. It's uh, all yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. They all these like very similar tropes. Like in Fear Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like they go to this parade, and then there's just a random musical number." And it's iconic. Okay. Yeah, it's like very <laughs> 80s. It's and just like design guys. Yeah. Um, but it was like, oh gosh, I forgot this isn't like a modern movie. Um, what, it, yeah. what do you notice, Nick and Cole, I'm curious, mm-hmm. at the tropes that have either changed or remained the same in, in teen movies? So we mentioned a few, like, I think the classic best friend pining over the protagonist is a classic one. I think the love, trial, love triangle is a classic one. I think the kind of pitting you know, a, a less popular person against a popular person is pretty classic, but do you feel like I they've mean, I changed? Feel like as you were saying all those, I could think of examples for all of those that have come out in the last few years. Yeah. I mean, that stuff definitely still exists, but if you're going to take like outliers to that or like the new wave stuff like Book Smart or this new uh, Never Have I Ever, those feel like they break with a lot of those tropes. Right. And those kind of aren't existent in them all. They're more centered around friendship, especially if they're centering women. I feel like friendship is the main romance versus something else like it's about because in high school like the reality is that true romance with like hot passionate sex and like a lot of love and and good communication is never realistic so it seems like they're throwing away that goal in a lot of these movies and the ending note is like Friends are what's most important. I mean, that's what's that's what Lady Bird's yeah. about. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, Lady Bird. Or for like, sure. be nice to your mom, which I think is a much yeah. more positive and realistic goal for like a high school movie, for sure. Like, one of the reasons I like Lady Bird is so much is that by the end of it, you realize that like it's like this like cyclical nature of like Lady Bird hates her mom, but Lady Bird's mom was once Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. And, like, Lady Bird's mom hated – I don't know. You know, like, it's yeah. very, like, oh, wait. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it it goes the into the facts. Of, that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how yeah. things perpetuate like that. An example I can think of, too, that kind of breaks the mold a bit ahead of its time is Clueless. Mm-hmm. Because Cher Horowitz is arguably the most popular girl in school. And oh, yeah. they kind of flip that on its head by trying to also make her the most – magnanimous and inclusive Mm. and she obviously has her own ulterior motives or her agenda with things it's i'm not saying it stems from a place of selflessness but that's her character that she's always wanting to nurture her dad and then take friends under her wing and try to teach them how to be more beautiful or fit more Mm. fit in more Mm -hmm. but that movie is really cool because in the end there's this unification of so many different types of clicks and we see the crossover between different clicks and it's all because Cher said okay let's kind of break this stuff up and I do feel like she's an example of a protagonist who we know is popular from the start and she maintains that popularity almost throughout she has that you know the it's kind of the opposite where most you know like a show like Mean Girls uh the protagonist Mm. isn't popular has the rise becomes popular it's her downfall and then kind of evens out. Whereas 
Clueless is she's popular from the start and at her, at the kind of peak of the movie, at her lowest point, people don't really want to hang out with her and mm. are kind of casting her aside. And then she, she ends up kind of coming back around, but mm. yeah, I it's think, kind of the, the yeah. inverse. Yeah. It's like the hero's journey, but for like teenage girls, I don't know. Like you leave, you go, I don't know. Um, mm. You like go on your journey. Uh, you struggle and you end up back. Where you you end up back where you belong safe and like yeah. you're, everything is like, well, um, you yeah. can start from the bottom or the top, baby. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Wow. So why do you think that teen movies still resonate for adults? I wanted to bring up um I was listening to this uh the the writer of SpongeBob like talking about uh TV shows for children and discussing how they're obviously written with adult themes as well, so that the parents watching them with their kids can get enjoyment out of it. I mean, like SpongeBob has so many sexual jokes like laid into it that make no sense to kids, but the parents are like, oh my gosh, so they're getting entertainment. Same thing with The Simpsons. But I think it's interesting because teen media is like adults enjoy it as well, but I don't feel like it was written with the idea that kids would be watching it with their parents. No. Do you know what I mean? But still we're obsessed. Is it because all of us have trauma from our teen years that we need to resolve through <laughs> digestible media? Maybe. Or it's either I think you want to see your a good experience that you had reflected back at you and be reminded mm-hmm. of a time where potentially your life was simpler. If you had a really privileged teenage years, I've, I feel like I had a really great teenage years and I can look back and think, okay, well – yeah, I had all of these privileges afforded to me. Life was a lot simpler. I didn't have bills I was paying on my own. I didn't have a lot mm. of massive loss. And so watching those types of movies either provides an escape where I'm seeing someone else's experience or just kind of validates my own and makes me remember a good time. But I think if you had maybe difficult teenage years, then it could provide an escape or kind of what you were saying earlier, Nick, that it's almost like a rewriting of your high school years where you can watch something and and empathize and kind of put yourself in the place of someone who had a different experience than you Mm, did for sure yeah that's how i felt like i said about never have i ever it was like revisionist like a revisionist like narrative in my head of like how i wish my coming out experience was like or like exactly yeah yeah totally totally it's soothing but also it's just high school is such an interesting time just objectively there's so many firsts there's the weirdest combination of people that you'll ever get i feel like in adult life people branch into their little sex more it's like you go to like you go to work with people who would have a similar job to you so who are inherently slightly similar you sort of end up in a place where you're with people in your same um class like class hierarchy separates again but high school is the coming together of Every single person that's different. It's a mixed bag. Literally in the cafeteria. And that's why the cafeteria is the classic scene of, or the classic location of so much like high school rivalry and fighting is because that's the one place where all of these people are put together for about four years and then they go back to their suburbs or, yeah. yeah. And it's such a formative time here. So because there are so many firsts. It really, in a lot of ways, can lay the foundation for who you become as a person and and the beliefs you hold and how you communicate with people, how you learn to view yourself through other people's eyes. And I don't think that everything you learn or the, the beliefs you take on in high school should 
continue. I think the point of life is, is <laughs> yeah. evolution, obviously, and it's yeah. that's dangerous if people stay in their high school mode. But I should it is, at some of the people from my high school. It's interesting Ooh. how much <laughs> how much emphasis they put on it. I I had a job interview years and years ago where the focus of the interview was on asking me what I did in high school mm. and what I was involved with. And I was thinking, how is this still relevant when I have graduated from college? I've spent time in, you know, the working field. And now you're asking me what extracurriculars I did. And it, it, but it, that just goes to show you the philosophy a lot of people hold, which is that who you are in high school can really dictate the path you take later on. That's horrifying. It is horrifying and it's not fair. It's also not accurate also. No, I feel it's not no. at all. But then other times it's so accurate. I feel like. For sure. I think it depends on which route you take for your, like higher education, if that's what you want to do. Um, or, or if your life just, I mean, I think the trope is that a lot of like popular kids or wealthy kids are douchebags in high school. And then after that, like daddy gets them a job and then they're never challenged in that way again or but like so many kids have the story of oh i went to college and like completely changed my belief system because you're confronted with different ideas and stuff so yeah maybe you're right it depends on kind of makes me think why aren't more tv shows set in college i feel like that's Mm. actually a really smaller group of of shows and movies and to me it always would make more sense because then you don't have to get Character uh, actors to play the parents as much, right? Where it's yeah. in these high school shows like The OC and and Riverdale to some extent, go- like Gossip Girl, uh, Pretty Little Liars. The parents play as much of a role oftentimes mm. in the story, and but it often ends up just complicating things. And you see these teenagers who look like they're twenty nine and are going through things that you know no teenager could go through. But yeah, I wonder, and maybe. It- the idea is that like young kids can't relate to college, like middle schoolers, but they can fathom the idea of high school. And like we said, we're still obsessed with high school. So even if it's not college content, if it's high school content, I'll probably still watch it. So maybe it's just the most marketable time period, you know, because like middle schoolers can relate where middle schoolers might not understand like the intricacies of high school. Cause you, you know, so many of the fans of like these TV shows, like Riverdale or whatever, are like 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds right? who haven't even lived high school and also older people where college might not be understandable. And a lot of people don't go to college, so then maybe they don't want to look back and relate to something they don't have familiarity Mm -hmm. with, whereas you can almost guarantee most people have been to at least some part of high school. Yeah. But uh, what are y'all's favorite tropes in that genre? Like mine Mm. is... The love triangle. I know it's played out. I know it's cliche, but I cannot resist. I love to pick a team. It was designed for you. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Why does that exist in almost every single show? Why do you think it has endured? It's the young hetero girl's dream. I guess. I guess. But so is it. So is it appealing? (laughs) Is it appealing to young girls specifically? Do you think? I would argue yes. But it mm. clearly has more universal universal appeal. But like yeah. Twilight was written for young girls, mm-hmm. Hunger Games was written for young girls, and then it had a much wider audience. But like most of these stories with the love triangle, the the main readers of young adult novels are young girls, like by far. I wonder if that has to do with like it's it's like kind of like a reclamation 
of like power in a way where like you are choosing who you like who you want to marry who you want to marry who you want to be with um as opposed to like um i don't know like you being told you have to like marry or date a person um in high school or date a certain type of person i think yeah i agree i think it can even represent the tension between two versions of yourself and two potential paths you could take in life right where you're trying to figure out who you are when you're in those high school years, what's important to you, what you want for yourself, and kind of projecting outward maybe some of your future desires or fantasies on two seemingly opposite people, mm. right? Because they're always very different, That's so usually true. represent two entirely different potential relationships or potential futures. Werewolf or vampire. Werewolf or yeah, vampire. They're classic. I mean, choose. Or as in the case of Vampire Diaries, vampire or vampire <laughs> and both brothers, but just different hot. The hair colors. <laughs> Paige, why do you bring up Vampire Diaries? Oh, God, you guys. This show. Tell them. If I've ever had a vice, this show is it, I think. <laughs> because I watched it at a time in my life when I was unemployed for about three and a half months I was feeling real low, real down on myself, and I needed an escape. And I watched, I binged Vampire Diaries, and I'm, I'm just not proud of it. I lived at home for this period of time, and there was a day, <laughs> there was one day I'll just never forget because it was one of those moments where you see yourself through someone else's eyes and you go, oh, this is not it, honey. This is not what you want for yourself. But I was... In my room at like 10 a.m. with the blinds still shut, <sighs> watching the Vampire Diaries. And my dad knocked on the door and I was like, um, come in. And he comes in and he was like, oh, sorry. Like as if he had interrupted me doing something scandalous. <laughs> yeah. And I saw the look on his face and I was like, it's 10 a.m. on a weekday and I'm in bed, like in the dark, <laughs> watching a show about vampires. <laughs> and then my And I was like, all right. You need to take control of your life, girl, and and change things up. But that show, I I I was obsessed. The one constant in my life during those three months was you watching that show. I could literally walk could anywhere in the it. house. Yeah, no, you could it was dependable. Count on it. Yeah. yeah, I could just tune in when I wanted to. Yeah, I wasn't. It was good. I wasn't secretive about it either. No. That was something I enjoyed, and I I made it known to people. You've always been proud about not believing in guilty pleasures which i appreciate it's just a pleasure i love that it's just a pleasure no guilt but yeah the vampire diaries took me through something and i will always have a soft spot for it in my heart because of that reason but teenage teenage shows get you through shit they do or for me as well you kind of just like put it on and just like work through stuff i don't know just consciously yeah yeah you can just like zone out almost and just like hmm think i don't know totally yeah yeah i like them because they're uh, the type of media where i can go on my phone and still understand what's happening but LOL, also tune in. as if you don't go on your phone watching absolutely <laughs> anything and everything that gets put on nick can attest funny you to the that. fact that i do put my phone away for certain things yeah i get mad at nick because he's always on, his on my phone. phone i have this habit of like this okay, little tangent. I have this habit of going on Wikipedia for the, whatever movie we're watching and just like looking up the cast. And every and time I do that, five Cole, minutes of the show, Cole pause and be like, "Am I? Is this boring you? Would you rather be doing something else?" <laughs> I do the exact same thing with my husband. I, we agree on a show to watch, 
he's like, great, sounds perfect. We put it on. He, and then in the first 15 minutes, if he's not 100% focused, I'm like, so what is it? You want to watch something else? So you hate me, you want to break <laughs> up, or... <laughs> no, that's... I mean, okay, so you're saying you can pay attention to teen shows, like, as much 85%. As you want. Or just 33%, like, 62 You can tune in literally as much as you want, and you'll understand it because it's kind of the same plot every episode. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's just healing. Like, it's constant. Yeah. It'll be there for you. And then, like, season seven happens and a character that you liked is gone. And then your whole world is destroyed a little bit. But up to that point. <laughs> what was yours? And what was yours too, Nick? I said fuck vampires and went for Teen Wolf all the way. <laughs> oh, my God. I think Teen Wolf is a terrible show. But I watched all six and a half seasons of it. And then I read Teen Wolf fan fiction almost every night consistently for like the last six years i'm so sorry nick the last yeah i've like cut it in the last like six months or so because i've been less sad but teen wolf got me through some dark times for sure wow i was at berkeley in a library crying one time until i found a teen wolf fan fiction about two characters that met in that library (laughs) at berkeley and fell in love and i was like oh all is well again. Like, I was reading fan fiction about the college I was going to. That's just pure fiction. With Teen Wolf characters. Oh, my. And how hyper-specific. Didn't they get Boba or something, too? Yeah, they got Boba, my favorite Boba spot. <laughs> no. Wait, Nick, were you a fanfic fan? No. No. <laughs> um, no, I, not for any reason. I just never fanfic I think I fanfic doing theater. Like my own fan fiction of like characters, so mm-hmm. I was like, I got my fulfillment of vicariously living through um, characters that way. Yeah, oh, no, wow. I, I he think... had the real deal. We just had to use yeah. our imagination. I know, no, yeah. but no. I wish I did actually fan fiction. He's like the so... thing is, I lived fan fiction. <laughs> the thing is, you read it, I lived it. I uh, it was my I religion. It. Yeah. <laughs> I lived and breathed. I sacrificed myself. No, I think like the the obsession with fan fiction reveals a lot about teen media too, because it's almost entirely teen media. I'm a fan fiction expert, y'all. I'll give you the stats. Like, it is nearly 100% teen media that is turned into fan fiction. The top ones are Harry Potter, Teen Wolf, the One Direction fandom. Oh, my God. Uh, like, Big Time Rush. All these weird fucking shows that are designed for teenagers, but clearly... They're not doing enough in the main series, and people need to add in their own content. And I think that fan fiction, just reading any good fan fiction, will reveal to you how much was wrong with the original show. Because you're like, I've read fan fictions that are like three times the length of To Kill a Mockingbird, and I'm enthralled the whole time, and it's based off Teen Wolf, which is like the least captivating show (laughs) in the world. Like, has no real artistic merit, but like... These fan fictions are able to take these characters and these tropes that have like a solid basis and foundation and using different storylines that aren't the same shit recycled 45 times. They're able to turn those characters into like this really beautiful story. And a lot of the time that means adding in characters of color or adding in actual queer plots instead of just really violent queer baiting and subtext in the background of a show. I mean, that's mostly what fan fiction, the main fan fiction um, category is man for man, where they take like male characters in a show that never hooked up and then they make them hook up and teen that's, girls love it. And so do I. That's so fascinating. And it, I mean, it makes so much sense. It's kind of like an expanded universe mm-hmm. for, I mean, when you think about 
Marvel or DC or something. These are universes where people can't get enough of these stories overlapping and Mm -hmm. intersecting. So it makes sense that it would be that way with with YA novels and teen shows and everything like that. I mean, what is it? Fifty Shades of Grey, E.L. James, that started as Twilight fanfic. Yeah. And morphed into another thing people were obsessed with. And I'm sure there's fanfic about Fifty Shades of Grey that has gone in a slightly different direction. My favorite Teen Wolf fanfiction is being published as a book now. It got taken down and they're changing the names. Because most fan fiction is – it branches off. It's called AU or alternate universe. So they take like what was good about the show and then they revise everything else. So it'll be like anything after season three didn't actually happen. Like wherever the show gets bad, wherever the, the writer fucks up and does something that the fans hate. And yeah, it's it's like Marvel but created I mean, by people, for people – like with J.K. Rowling, all of the stuff going on with her right now where she's kind of like ruining <laughs> Harry Potter in a way. Yeah. Or at least I our- am not caught up. Oh. <laughs> this has been happening for like a decade. For, I mean, it started with her saying Dumbledore was gay, gay. which it's like, cool, <laughs> thanks for telling us that in the book. Just about her revealing things about the characters her revising. instead of letting right. Yeah. yeah. Or okay. she's like, she, the recent terrible one was she was like, I never said Hermione wasn't black. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Hermione clearly wasn't black because if she was, you would have had to write about it and make it a plot point and you would have had to actually dig into what that would mean for Hermione to be black. But instead, you just wrote a white character and then 20 years later, you were like, maybe she's black. And so when the authors do shit like that where they give you fucking nothing but they bait you by adding in something like a tidbit of like your storyline, like being like Dumbledore was actually gay. <laughs> and then you go back and reread it and you're like, oh my god, Dumbledore is gay and there's nothing in the real book. There's nothing. Yeah. And then you write wow. a Dumbledore Voldemort sexy alternate universe oh Brokeback gosh. Mountain gay fan fiction for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to see that. I mean, <laughs> these novels don't often have enough sex for my taste anyway. So I love I think- that pivot okay. page. <laughs> is that why you like Never Have I Ever? There's, it's very sexual, at least the most sexualized really? teen show I've seen. I I feel like it was realistically sexual. Like yes. she's it was ob- realistic. She's obsessed with exactly. sex, but it doesn't happen, which is what happened exactly. to all of us. Yeah. No, I'm thinking like when I was younger and I was I was 14 when I read Twilight and I waited years and years for, you know, <laughs> Stephanie Meyer made the characters have to get married before they could have sex. Oh. And I just waited for that and waited. And then the sex scene was... It just was skipped past it. It was like, and they unified. And I was like, that's it? She's Mormon. What'd you expect? No, I, well, I expected something. I expected, yeah. so I can see why people go further and want to. I have literature for you to read. It <laughs> oh. will fill in those gaps. Thank you so <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah. Okay, I'm ready for Also, it. anybody fans of the pod, if you want me to find you a good fan fiction, just let me know. Email us. Cole is here at your service mm-hmm. for your fanfic needs. Yep, please. Uh, I want to talk about, kind of veer into YA novel territory and also fantasy and sci-fi and <gasps> dystopian futures. Why do you think that so many authors of YA novels decide to – well, okay, no. Obviously, they write YA, so obviously their protagonists are younger. <laughs> but what I mean is, why do you think that people choose to have these characters in, like, fantasy or dystopian settings? What is it about viewing a landscape like that through the lens of someone who's younger or who's teenaged? Why is that appealing? Hmm. 
I think it's almost like it just like represents like like these like dystopic like futuristic landscapes like almost like represent like the struggles of being a teenager in modern life but it just like it kind of adds excitement to the like dullness of like the modern suburban landscape if you're Mm -hmm. a teenager you know I'd rather like if I'm living in like a southern california suburb i rather think of myself as like katniss everdeen like doing all this crazy stuff than like myself like ben a, nicholas like, yeah <laughs> like in the in like the backseat of a honda odyssey going to like <laughs> like the first day of 10th grade you know no that's a really interesting perspective yeah mm-hmm. and i mean that's the that's the power of fantasy right is it's like alien characters in a world that probably could never happen but somehow you learn something about yourself Mm-hmm. And it, it's almost as if abstracting away the environment lets you get to the root of what you're actually feeling. Um, and I think that's how a lot of them start. Like, yeah, you don't want to be back in the back of a Honda Odyssey with your parents fighting. So, like, Katniss struggling to keep her family together in the midst yeah. of, like, a totalitarian, like, regime taking over her district. Yeah, it almost <laughs> raises the emotional stakes. Mm. And I think it cuts at the the core of the emotions, like you said, it kind of strips away everything else, the circumstances, and lets you connect to the root and relate to what someone's feeling, which which is the ultimate point. And I mm-hmm. think that is why probably so many readers of YA novels are adults. I was yeah. I found a study right before this that said that fifty five percent of the people who buy YA novels are adults. So Paige is directly contradicting what I and said. And they said, yeah, I am. I actually am. I wanted to go back to that wow, point wow, between wow. the ages of 18 and 64. So, but I think that makes sense because even, you know, you just think of these books now like The Hunger Games or what was mm. that other one that was? Uh, Divergent, Insurgent. Divergent, Insurgent. <laughs> Convergent. Again, uh, message me if you have any questions. Fault in our stars. <laughs> yeah, the fault in our stars. Emergent. Emergent. <laughs> Subvergent. Virgin. <laughs> Gent. <laughs> and then you just go down one letter. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I just think it's interesting. It kind of I think it's exactly what you both said, that it allows you to relate your own experiences to something. Um and I think there's something powerful too about having someone who knows just enough about how the world works but not enough mm. yet to mm. enter a new kind of landscape like yeah. there's something maybe more believable about a 15 year old who's confronting this new world than a 37 year old who has these conditionings from society mm. and it maybe prejudices in a certain way of looking at the world and it kind of creates a little bit more of a blank slate, I suppose. Yeah. Also, I feel like a lot of times teens feel like they're like the most, like they feel like no one understands them. And like these books, it's like, oh, everyone's doubting Katniss and all this stuff. But it's like, no, wait, we actually grow, they grow to like love Katniss and Katniss becomes like their Mockingjay. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like a, you know what? Yeah, I do have autonomy. I do have power. Like I am valid, even though my parents don't listen to me or like i don't know no one really believes anything it's a dramatization of like those tiny struggles and they Mm -hmm. make it as big as it feels when you're a teenager yeah Mm -hmm. like your parents not listening to you feels as big as katniss having to battle president snow to free the 13 (laughs) districts from 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a, I really love that. That's a great way of But why it. do adults like it? I really wonder. Yeah. Because I, I think you're still going, as an adult, you're still going through your own shit. And I think it helps yeah. to almost have like the emotional core of something be relatable, but maybe the circumstances and the context around mm. it is totally different. But maybe you're, you know, maybe you're in love with two people at once or something as, yeah. as your adult or you're fading out of your marriage or you have issues in your career or something. And those can be just as relatable, even though it's someone from who's maybe 20 years younger in a different landscape in a different time. But you're depressed at the college library studying for your computer science final. And the only solution is a teenage teen werewolf. werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Slash no, it's true. I think it's so interesting too how like, People can't relate. Like, if something is too specific and realistic, people would be like, oh, my friends would never say that to me in the cafeteria. Like, that doesn't feel realistic. Or, like, how does she have that outfit where, for some reason, everybody can fucking relate to Harry Potter as if we're all wizards? Do you know yeah. what I mean? It removes yes. the the little details that can be turned into, like, nitpicks of, like, high schoolers would never actually say that. It allows you to suspend your disbelief a lot more. Exactly. Because you're yeah. already having to do it to get behind the major premise from of the start. Wizards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wizards. Of teenage werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, the obsession really with point. werewolves and vampires, too? Yeah. Are they yeah. just hot? Let's I think that's what it is for me. Let's dig into that. So you think the hotness, Nick? I love canine teeth. <sighs> I mean, having werewolves and. <laughs> so. <laughs> Cole I, loves a pointy tooth. I do, yeah. Just look no it up. Shame. Other people feel no the same. shame. Yeah. Hey, you guys, Damn. veneers? I don't know. Think twice hey, because there's a lot pleasure? of people out there with canine fetishes. <laughs> you never know. Again, um, email me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, it is interesting, though, that like uh, vampires and werewolves in particular have been like kind of always at the, like, not the center of like American literature and movies and stuff, but like they're prominent, prominently featured. Yeah, like gothic literature Dracula. in general. Yeah, uh, that's not American. Though, is, is it? it? I thought it was Bram Stoker. I don't know, but it, yeah, like English canonical literature. Yeah, like sure. vampires and werewolves are important. I, maybe it has to do with the aspect of transformation. Yeah, which like Ooh. we all stand. Yeah, or there's some puberty. Oh, boom! Solved boom. it. All right, next topic. <laughs> 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 I mean, what's more, what's more representative of the struggle of going through puberty than turning, like My becoming really hairy and <laughs> getting claws? You guys have seen, Wait, um, whoa! You guys have seen Teen Wolf the movie, right from the eighties, where he's no. a basketball what? player and he's he's a literal wolf. <laughs> what's the guy's name? Michael like, J. Fox. Yes, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> he's literally like, he's like, no, but then he he becomes cool for it and he's like seen as this cool wolf boy <laughs> but it also makes me think you know That's that disney dream. channel original movie the 13th year he's no. in puberty he's turning 13 and he develop he becomes a merman and he's like oh <sighs> no and he's all embarrassed of his body i mean i think it's okay ugh. These are some Gen Z people sitting with Wait, me. Wait, no, I listeners. love that. I was just thinking, like, that's really powerfully feminine that he becomes... He becomes a merman. Um, yeah. That that's is beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. A merperson. A merperson. A merper. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, I mean, yeah, transformation, I guess we, we Wait, hit you at the core it. of it. Fuck. No, you did. You, you, we all... You said puberty and then we it all clicked. <laughs> Guys, I'm still going through puberty is what I've learned. But I think there's... Kind of are. Yeah, there is... Kind of a, and maybe the hotness is tied into it where it's like it's much more attractive to 
be going through a transition to be a vampire mm. than it is to be having acne and yeah like hair in different places that you didn't want all of a sudden and all these different things it's like yeah yeah it's know. like you're turning the transformation into something that feels worth it because i feel like when you have yes. acne you're not like you don't get any other powers like, i'm on the way to adulthood acne. like i'm growing into my adult skin it's like no fuck this acne where like if you're a vampire, you're like, yeah, I can't grow in the sunlight, but I'm at least I can fucking and sparkle and play fly baseball. And it depends thunder. on which, you know, yeah. which uh, which vampire <laughs> That's story the next you, pod will you be get into. And contrasting, but, but uh, yeah, what do you think about? Um, I wanted to talk about how teenagers influence media in general, and so. Like right now, right, it's teenagers started with TikTok and that's becoming something that a lot of adults are now getting into because of that obsession. (laughs) Right. Starting it's starting as a, hey, what is this all about? What are the teens doing? Teenagers. To hey, all of a sudden this is intriguing. But I'm I'm kind of interested in the intersection between, you know, is it chicken or the egg? Is it like teenagers dictate a lot of culture and media? Or is it that they latch on quickly to mm. culture and media as it changes and self-identify with it and then perpetuate those cultures? I feel it, like that teens become like the embodiment of a culture because they're raised in it. Like I know for our generation, like our parents looked at me like, how is he using those computers and all that stuff? And us on our phones, it's like even between you and I, Paige, like the difference is – it's vast. Yeah, it's vast of like, I'm an internet kid and you grew up, you didn't have, you didn't know what texting was until you were 16 or something. I don't know how old you 14, are. 14, I got my first text. <laughs> I, I literally remember when I got my first text and I and I couldn't, See, I, I didn't know how to like exit it on my phone and I was like, dad, what is this word <laughs> alert like filling my screen? Yeah, so that's wild. Like, whereas we, Nick and I grew up with that and so then when teenagers come of age and they can like sort of share their opinions and stuff they become these the embodiments of the current time almost like crystallized versions of what the current culture is does that make any sort of sense yeah yeah like they were raised in it so then when teenagers come about like tiktok is a full embodiment of everything that's going on right now somehow Mm, it's like hyper gen z like no, I weirdly could, diverse, yeah. but also like captures a lot of weird racial issues, yeah. and it it just it, it it's an embodiment of like American culture in general captured on like this weird this video this thing platform. where kids have been conditioned from a really young age to document their life, mm, yeah, and to share it with people and to become really comfortable with sharing what to a lot of other people <laughs> is very trivial, dumb unnecessary overshare but for them that's just the default it's like of course i would share this picture of me with my morning coffee doing 17 different funny faces because i just felt like that in the moment and you're these kids have been taught to yeah to that it's okay and it's Mm -hmm. even good to document every thought you have every little thing you do and they have been praised by each other for it. You yeah, know what I mean? I don't know how much their parents are involved. I think that's a case-by-case thing with each family, but at least they're getting that validation from their peers. and Or at least they're getting 
the validation that it's the right thing to do to continue striving mm. for that because they're seeing the people at the top who are the most successful with that gaining all of that adoration. That's what the app is based on, right? Like it, the point of the thing that makes TikTok different than just any like Instagram where you can just share videos is that you copy other people's videos or you yeah. copy the sound from their videos. Nick, you're a TikTok expert. Well, no, yeah. It's just like, I think it allows you to partake in culture. Um, it's just, it's just like a platform to partake in culture and like, oh, I can do this dance that everyone's doing. Let me do it. Um, there's tutorials you download yeah. the song instant you can instantly become a part of something yeah but like you, you don't have to stage anything it's like here's yeah. the song you don't just have to come up with like the next great american novel like you can just like <laughs> do this tiktok dance and you're like i don't know like you can contribute in and you get thousands of views the like bar, TikTok, people the bar are is low for participation the <laughs> no, barrier to real. entry is not is That's nothing very low. even yeah, vine yeah. you had to create the seven second thing you had to hashtag yeah. yourself tiktok it's like copy the sound and lip sync to it and you are now on this page with thousands of other people yeah. who are taking part in this trend too, including weird adults. That's interesting because is it is it a is it that they're a representation of the culture or is it that they are dictating now the culture? Because hmm. it's not just for teenagers now. There's so many celebrities who have gone off with it and so many other people having fun with it. And that's, I guess, what I'm thinking. And I don't think that there's – an either or answer. Mm. I think it's a little bit of both. They are an embodiment of the culture and the time, but then they are also helping to shape that culture simultaneously. Like when you think about when the Beatles first got started, their largest fan base was teenage girls. They yeah. made the Beatles popular. Teenage girls have a power. Teenage girls have the power <laughs> of they're basically God. They have they have this remarkable ability to dictate what's successful, what's cool, what people talk about, and why Why do you think that is? I will also add that it is equally teenage queer people. Yeah. What you can yeah. see with how much people market to young queer people without actually marketing to them. I mean, that's the whole point of queer baiting is like give the teenage queers enough so that they'll make this pop off on Tumblr and then Teen Wolf is famous. Maybe explain yeah. what queer baiting is for anyone who might not know. It's inserting queer subtext or hinting at queerness in your media or queer storylines without going far enough to displease people who don't want to see that sort of stuff. Can we think of an example? Um, I mean, J.K. Rowling saying Dumbledore is gay. There's nothing in the books that would that would connote that at all or denote it. So people reading it don't have to have that thrown in their face. But now queer people are going to latch onto that and promote more harry potter content and talk about harry potter more read it more or in marvel they're like valkyrie is gay when nothing is said about that in the movies at all but now queer people are posting tons of fan art of her and being like valkyrie is my icon and like getting valkyrie trending on twitter right but Why then they do don't think, get any payoff but what is it about those particular groups the, the queer youth and young teenage girls who also might be queer, but what is it about those t those demographics where they have that ability? Is it that they are more apt to share their thoughts? Is it that they're more in tune with their feelings? Is it that they're more interested in what's going on culturally? Like, what do you think? I think it's like kind of like a cathartic way to like, it's like reclamation. Like I think I said earlier, like I know that like, when Elvis became like a big thing in the fifties, like that was the first time, like the teenage girl in America. I mean, the fifties is kind of when like the teenage, the concept of a teenager was invented, like when the middle class started rising, 
but it was like it was the first time like teenage girls were like dictating media and like dictating companies to do certain things because they were now like a target group audience and now i mean yeah it's interesting that now that's like evolved to like girls and gays as like they say (laughs) online um like girls and gays um little women is i mean captures that entirely the publisher is like we're not going to sell your book about young girls and then they realize young girls are a massive market that can dictate this and then she gets her book published yeah it's just untapped markets but then I don't know if I know why they've become like these culture creators or like tastemakers for culture. Like, why do we care? I mean, you see it in all types of media, like queer people and women and specifically black queer people and black women seem to like dictate (gasps) everything that is being said in pop culture, all the music, all the sayings, like all of their language. It's, it's trickle up culture. I've heard it called. And that's just a massive issue that I don't know if I can tackle it all, but it feels I, like this is a symptom of that. Yes. And I think I understand maybe this could be part of it. It's because not only are those people influential, clearly, they're also highly impressionable. Those are the people society has said from the start, young girls, you need to look a certain way. Queer youth, you need to figure out how to fit in a mm. certain way. So these are the people who've already been told by society you have to do X, Y, and Z to get where you want to be in life. So they're more tuned in to whatever will help them get there. And I'm not saying that's – I don't think that that's often a good thing. And maybe the tides are changing in a way to that. But it's – I mean, growing up, you know, you I read I read magazines when I was 11 and 12 that were about – you know, how to kiss a guy better, how to get a guy to say you're a good kisser, how, you know, just obviously all the stuff that Cosmo's always published for years and years and years. And I think that in in a certain way, maybe more subliminal, well, not even, sometimes it's direct, but with LGBTQ youth, there's a sense of like, hey, you need to make yourself more palatable. You need to figure out how to fit in wherever you are. And so maybe it's just that those people are the most vulnerable to sort of push their push ideas onto and 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 those people are the most willing to maybe grab it. That's a wild take. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's like they're positioning to the uh, hegemony. It's like, oh, I can't be I can't like be on top like in the outer world, but on the inner world, like in this in this like I can be like on top, like being a K-pop stand. Like I can like really like, I don't know. I yeah. can have like my full power. Whereas like- I can in, find myself in Harry Potter. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like in like the, I don't know, in high school, I can't. In my high school setting, I can't because I'm not popular. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I, I mean, like if you take like young women and queer people, those are like distinctly not cis straight men. Right. And so maybe it, I, I know this is true just from the internet. Like queer people have a very, very massive power on the internet because they're the original people that sort of invested in online anonymous forums and online social media because that's where so many queer people like the Tumblr revolution was like all these queer people who got bullied at school going home and finding communities online. Yeah. And then Tumblr was one of the first like really really powerful uh sort of culture creators or tastemakers for culture i mean tumblr is what like revolutionized like the gif of like 
this boy kid, like black and white gifs from like this TV show, hashtagging this and that. And the queer people and the young women who felt like disenfranchised or like they didn't fit in at school or got bullied found themselves online. And now we've shifted into a world where what's trending on Twitter is what's going to be popular or what's trending on Instagram, like our explore page. If it's all never have I ever, then we're going to watch it. And the people who originally, like the people who have the most power in that space and who have had the power the longest in that space are these groups who aren't as powerful in like the outside man's world. That sounds really dramatic, but it's... No, it's kind of, and it's kind of harkening back to what what Nick was saying. saying that, yeah, I completely agree with that. It's like, you know, and it you can see it with so many other groups of people, right? Where it's like any kind of <clears throat> more oppressed or just marginalized or vulnerable group can take their power back in this unique way that then everyone else wants to become mm-hmm. part of too. It's like, you know, black people with jazz back Black in, people with every single popular version of music, anything. jazz, rock, yeah, hip-hop, rap. pop, mm-hmm. like – it started there, and then the rest of the world eventually finds merit in it. Mm-hmm. But I think that is there is such an interesting correlation between people who, like you said, have these abilities to be tastemakers, to dictate culture, and then what's the common denominator between those people? They a get sense of struggle, in high a sense yeah. of struggle yeah. in some kind of way, yeah. right? Yeah. Whether that's minor in terms of feeling like you have to dress a certain way in school or bigger to the point of yeah being criticized for who you are i mean like if we're going to be really dramatic and take things to their extreme like almost all forms of like tv movie book media is escapism or it can be escapism or it's just like an alternate universe that you can jump into and the people that need that most are the people who's or people who want that most are the people whose regular universe ain't doing it for them. Yeah. And so that's going to be a lot of the time queer people, black people, women. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody since the beginning of time that's been putting their fucked up feelings or their feelings of difference into art are the ones that become famous. Like, mm. I mean, we see that trend over the course of time. Like gay people have so much power over art since forever ago like the the amount of authors famous authors that are read in school that were queer is disproportionate to what science believes are the amount of actually queer people and yet fucking hemingway still gets trotted out as <laughs> god damn it we have to read everything he wrote still somehow they still break in y'all. yeah yeah they still <laughs> slide in there um i want to know just kind of you know to kind of round out the discussion what are some of your favorite teen-centric shows, movies, novels, whatever. I really like 8th Grade. Oh, oh by Bo Burnham. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, I think that was wow, so that was innovative. So yeah, I was just, it was really cool. No one really encapsulates the middle school experience, especially like that. Unlike, and I don't know, it was just like really cool to see. Um, That's yeah. so true. It's like college. Like everything's yeah. about high school. For sure, yeah, but even less so. Like, no, school, like yeah. no one wants to go to middle school because it's such a dark time. Like, that's when things really yeah, wow. start changing. Whereas, like high school, you kind of figured things out and you kind of know how things are. Middle school, it's just like you're going from being a kid to a teenager. Like, it's like it's a tween. I don't know. Especially that transition period of like eighth grade. Yeah, between oh, between yeah. tween and teen. Oh yeah, 
Wait, you're right. I can't think of many yeah. other. That's such a good. Yeah, I loved that movie. Oh, it really hits at so that. Good. It's such a good balance of being really touching and kind of heartbreaking and then also really light and funny mm-hmm. and charming too. I that's a great one. It makes most it makes you think like most like works about teens, at least like movies and like series are somewhat comedic. You know, if you think about it, like they all have like an aura of like even if they're like they have like really serious like dramatic things that happen like death or like themes of um oppression, repression, they all end up they all have like a sense of comedy to it. I don't know. I was just thinking about I, that. Yeah, no, that I, was, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I think because so many of the trials you come up against in those years, you just have to laugh at. Yeah. There's And there yeah. is, especially as a viewer, there's a certain element of absurdity and just natural like hilarity with some of the scenarios they find themselves in. And then some stuff, I feel like people are realizing you can't laugh at it or like euphoria comes to mind when you say that because that isn't funny. Like, almost at all yeah. or it's just it's about as funny as any other like very serious drama mm-hmm. and so on one hand there's the stuff like we just have to laugh at puberty but then it's also like kids are overdosing on drugs in high school because yeah. their parents are assaulting them and yeah that's definitely an outlier yeah yeah that's it yeah is. i forgot about euphoria is, i think yeah. of euphoria is like adult content exactly yeah, yeah but it's yeah. about teens yeah it is it's very which interesting is, and that's like the first or that was marketed kind of as the first gen z teen show yeah. Which makes you think, like, are Gen Z kids going to finally, like, break this mold of not talking about that sort of stuff? Because that kind of is the whole thing of Gen Z is, like, yeah. is, it, what comes along with everything being online is everything being online, including all of the bad stuff. Like, kids are sharing everything. So, things that kids may not have talked about before, like, in Euphoria, like, doing their hormone replacement therapy, like, or having yeah certain feelings for their friends are being abused by their parents like that's all coming to the forefront now so who Mm. knows maybe teen media will take a switch to the darker side or the more realistic side yeah i think never have i ever is doing that as well in In a a lighter tone a very lighter tone but they it's very clear davies um has like mental is it like starting to like blossom into like some mental health issues or like anger issues whereas like before it would just be like oh she like this teenage protagonist is just kind of like moody or angry. And this one, it's like very clear. Like, no, yeah. Oh, like you need to work on some stuff. Like, and race is like. She's had some trauma. Yeah. Very, race is not skirted around. It's like the center. It's addressed head on. Yeah. Exactly. Cultural expectations. So that feels a bit different. And yeah. when we were talking earlier about what tropes have stayed and what haven't, like it feels like teen shows are really getting into it more now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which is so refreshing as a viewer. What were your. What's some of your favorite school? Um, the first one that comes to mind is Teen Wolf. <laughs> let's go. Let's venture beyond so the wolf. Kidding. Uh, but not. I like Hunger Games a lot too. Mm. I'm yeah. constantly in my life wondering if I'm looking for the Katniss to my Peta or the Peta to my Katniss. Wow. Regardless, Nick, you're it, baby. <laughs> Regardless of gender. I'm Regardless Jennifer of Lawrence gender. and Josh Hutcherson. Yeah, <laughs> at the same time, I can do that. Um. No, I think that was a good one. That one, like, really revolutionized the game. She was the first one. That was the blueprint for, like, all of our dystopian teen novels now. Yeah. Which there's And you love many. to see a woman at the center. Like, yeah. Woman. Yeah. She had way more autonomy than Bella did. I think those were kind yeah. of playing at the oh same God. time. Uh, yeah. Everyone that took Twilight, and I was like, what if that was good? Yeah. I don't know. I... It's funny to think how everyone shat on Bella. Sorry if I can say please, shat. Please. <laughs> everyone shat on Bella. Everyone shat on Kristen Stewart. Yeah. 
everyone hated her. Everyone hated like, oh, she looks so stupid. And she did have some like weird idiosyncrasies with like the way she's she not a looked. killer actress at, at the, the time. time. Doing this. Bad, very bad direction. <laughs> very bad direction. Yeah. But it's funny how everyone loved to like hate Bella. Yeah. But or, like, we're like, go off Katniss. Yeah. Or like, yeah, the, the, like Ed, uh, Robert Pattinson and Taylor Lauder never really got that. I think I think people hate on Bella, Bella because you know at the end of the day because she was she was written fundamentally different to Katniss. Katniss mm, is yeah. is takes initiative, knows what she wants, takes charge. Bella is fundamentally indecisive, super insecure, <laughs> turbulent, and yeah. yeah, and but I also don't think they did a good job of highlighting what Stephanie Meyer did do well is that in the books there was a lot of really witty fun banter between her and Edward mm. and that did not come through in the films at all instead she was scared to say 10 words to him and when they did come yeah. out she was like Edward and it was Quick so uncomfortable insertion that could be a whole other topic but the new there's a new Twilight coming out what from Edward's perspective she's finally written it no she wrote it a long time ago oh, okay well it's finally <laughs> it's finally being released um, it in was, the next it was year. like a, um, it was like, like a downloadable chapters. PDF yeah. that you could get for a while. And I got my hands on that quick. But the full book now is coming out. I'll read it. And I just want to talk about the fact that we're reading a book where a 118 year old man is talking about his love affair with a 17 year old girl as he waits for her to turn 18 before they can. It's the creepiest shit in the world. <laughs> I, with I can't Diaries. with Twilight. I mean, Twilight. Twilight has so much more going. We can do. He's a hundred years older than her. We should do a, an overanalyzing about the new book because when you understand the signs of of emotional abuse, it is everywhere, <laughs> everywhere in that in that book. It's just scary. But. And pedophilia. Because he's 118. <laughs> I don't know how nobody wants to talk about. It. He's that's been going to high school for a hundred years. That's actually why Cole likes wolves better because <laughs> they're not immortal. They age. Yeah, yeah. You don't get mm. into these traps with them. Interesting. What about what's your? Yeah. Oh my gosh, so many. I actually wrote some down because oh. <laughs> and kind of classified them by decade. But oh my gosh, love it. From the 80s, I love The Breakfast Club. Obviously. Fast um, Times at Ridgemont High was maybe the first time that I had ever seen, like, a boob or uh, anything on TV. And I remember just being opinions? absolutely scandalized. Okay. Yeah. And um, the Lost Boys say mm, anything. Mm-hmm. They invented Dingley Okay, Yang. Nick. <laughs> time to catch you up on 80s teen films. Please. From the 90s. 90s has so many good ones. Clueless, Dazed and Confused, yes. 10 Things I Hate About You. Great you one. You guys know. She's All That, Never Been Kissed. Cruel Intentions, I mean. Anyway. She's um, the man. Cruel Intentions. I want to add that She's one. the man She's is, the man is, what, 2000s, 2010? Yeah, I don't know 2000s. what it is, but it is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen on that revisiting was, it. That was Amanda Bynes' peak. That was, she was comedy's peak. She was at her best. She, yeah, she was iconic. Yeah. Hairspray is when the decline started. You could just tell <laughs> when she was not, yeah. they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. wait, what, she's not doing too well yeah oh, wasn't yeah. she an easy a remember that movie that was like the um, movie wasn't that emma stone, that was no, emma stone. she plays yeah. the um protestant like evangelical oh, easy yes. e. <laughs> no she plays the antagonist to emma stone okay got it, got yeah, it. yeah which but is yes. funny that was a very funny comeback to play this like but also remember like juno was a huge one that broke the mold in the 2000s oh, yes. it felt like that was so real and mm. so different 500 Days of Summer at You. Oh, that's not Oh, teams. that's not teens. Mm-hmm. That's like us. Mean Girls, age. obviously, oh. is probably the most 
the Amazing best movie, movie of all time. Of all time. <laughs> I, think it, I think it is. If kids it's are one still, of the funniest movies ever. If people aren't still watching that movie in 100 years, then we know something has gone wrong with society. Mm-hmm. We're in the dystopian future. Yeah. <sighs> Katniss needs to bring it back. Yeah. Um, Katniss is like, what is this bullshit? <laughs> so good. But in, in terms of shows, I, I got into a lot of teen shows later. I wasn't mm. into oh, them. Oh, Riverdale. Sorry. You love Riverdale? Yeah. Yeah. Have you watched? (laughs) Yeah. The hatred. Yeah. Let's acknowledge that. Riverdale? Yeah. I'm so sorry I cut you off. I just thought it flashed into my brain. I should have said that earlier. I stand. It's the worst show in the world. And because of that, the best. You stand it. I I only like teen media that's terrible. Let's be real. If I liked The Vampire Diaries, I'm sure I would love Riverdale if I gave it a chance. Watch the first episode, you'll go. 14 times. Oh, wait. Sabrina, the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Did y'all see that? Yeah, you no. love that, but you don't love River. That's a Riverdale spinoff. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't see it. I didn't like it at first, but Kyle got me into it, and <laughs> it's really good. It's actually really? so good. Yes. I've heard it's better than Riverdale. Way better. Super feminist. Well, I haven't seen it, but I know. I already just know. <laughs> the only Riverdales I've seen are the one where they do Heather's the Musical, and then they do carry the musical, which is interesting because they're both like teen dramas about. Yeah, they teen love a meta dramas. Teen yeah, it's very meta. <laughs> oh, sorry. The yeah, worst. one thing Watch we it. didn't talk about is like teen horror. That's a whole <gasps> genre. Uh, That's an yep. entire and genre. And Riverdale's at the top. Okay. And it, it's all about a sleepover and mm. like a popular girl dying immediately, usually with her top off somehow, you know? Yeah. But next episode, you guys. Next episode, or like Rose McGowan in like the garage door, and it opens. And like, have what? you seen Scream? <gasps> no. no. Oh, Rose McGowan like <laughs> and the garage door opens. Paige is shaking. She in gets her like chair stuck in the garage door, and it's like very just like horror movie. Like her, you, they're just like showing her boobs, and she's like ah, and she's like hanging from the ceiling. Horror's like, obsession with like female out. sexuality is also like a whole mutilating other thing. like mm-hmm. genitalia, Weird. and that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Anyway, Sorry. again, Anywho, episode, you guys. Um, also, Heather's. I forgot Heather's, to say that. Eighties, such yes, a good team. So good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Heather's is. And didn't they have a reboot recently? Oh, they did. It was a TV show. Oh, and, and it, it sucked. It didn't do I well. Think Riverdale I didn't see did it. a Heather's episode. Oh wait, no, they, there was a Heather's yeah. like um, series, and like one of the Heather's was like a gay boy. <laughs> No. Gay boy. <laughs> we finally made it, y'all. Yeah, no, literally, Love like, wins. representation. <laughs> yeah, it's like an evil Kurt uh, Hummel. No, but yeah, it didn't do well. Um, Heather's kind of reminds me of, I feel like in the 80s and 90s, there was a trope, too, of having these teenage characters, I guess it still exists with Riverdale and stuff, but be so adult-like. Mm-hmm. Like, if you saw Cruel Intentions, oh, yeah. the way that they act, the way that they talk with one another is like... They're 33-year-olds taking themselves so seriously. And maybe that's how Riverdale is, too. I'm it not, is. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. The main character runs an underground speakeasy <laughs> <laughs> out of the diner that she bought Wait, after she emancipated herself from her dad. Veronica. The one? No, Veronica. Oh, the sexy one? She's supposed to be sexy. Oh, the other one's supposed so to be sweet, huh? Sexy. Her name's oh, Veronica, no, too. Both sexy. Yeah. Like Veronica from Heather's. Does she yeah. play Veronica in the musical? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm that was sorry. a whole gag. Wow, 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 wow. Watch wow. the 2000s stuff. Or- oh, yeah, 2000s. Um, to me, that's just like Mean Girls takes over. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we also have like The Girl Next Door, The O.C., One Tree Hill. Yes. High School Musical? Hey. Oh, my God. Uh, I was in love with High School same. Musical. Oh, I, did you in watch love- High School Musical 2 premiere? Do you remember that? No? I watched that. That I watched number three. Oh, I was- yeah. Number Zac three. Zac Efron at his peak. 
yeah, as a twan. Yeah, when we all thought he was six foot one. <laughs> and Before the revelation <laughs> that he's not. Five, six? Which is okay. We, yeah, Which we is we stand. We stand. Short kings. I like that more. Yeah, they just he's made us think he could sing. Oh, yeah, baby. Wow. He's so short. Real yeah. tiny. A whole lot of man packed into that tight little mm. frame. He's like whole the lot of man. Whole lot of he's man. like millennial Tom Cruise. You know mm-hmm. what though? For every ab that he has, he kind of gets another inch. That's true. I feel like he loses an inch. That's true. But... So he's six nine. <laughs> <laughs> With his tall pack, man. he's six. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, you guys! Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you, uh, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me mumble into your microphone and be here. Oh, we're so glad. Maybe never again, but it's we'll okay. See. Yeah. No, listeners, if you want Nick back, let us know. It's got to be a firm hey. response because otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Write a review about me. Yeah. <laughs> um, we appreciate you listening. You can email us at overanalyzingpodcast at gmail That's the best way to get in touch because your girl <clears throat> is not super active on Instagram. Wow. Well, check us out on TikTok. Maybe we'll start one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) Let us know what you guys want. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next pod. Bye. 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 Bye.